Brad and Glenda Pius. Thank you so much for sewing into Morning Drive Bible. Without your commitment and support, this initiative couldn't come to fruition. Greetings from Jerusalem. My name is David Nekrutman. My name is Scott Kahn. And welcome to Morning Drive Bible. And last time, David, you threw a wrench into my argument that a fetus is a fetus and not a human being. We had seen a source, a rabbinic source, which had seemingly demonstrated that a fetus is not a human being because a woman who theoretically is being brought out to be put to death, but she's pregnant, we do not wait for the fetus to be born because, as the Talmud said, it's just part of her body. On the other hand, you brought last time a totally different source, which says that one is allowed to violate the Sabbath. For the fetus. For the fetus, not only for the mother. Right. And, and let me go and actually further support what you said. This is amazing. Scott is coming on my side. You know, is saying, it David, possible? An authentic discussion <laughs> means that we can't hide our heads in the sand and pretend that we don't know the other sources. I, I wanted to ignore the source that disagrees with me. Off, <laughs> off the air, we were talking about another source, which is in Tractate Yuma, the Tractate of the Talmud that talks about the laws of Yom Kippur the holiest holiday of the year. Sabbath is actually technically even holier. One is not allowed to eat on Yom Kippur. If one does, one incurs the penalty of karet, which is one of the most serious penalties in the Torah. And yet, for the sake of saving a life, one may eat on Yom Kippur. And the rabbis there say that if a woman who's pregnant feels the need to eat on Yom Kippur, she's allowed to eat. It's unclear from the Talmud itself if the problem is the woman or the problem is the possible miscarrying of the fetus. But... The later authorities, people known as the Rishonim, who lived in the medieval times, at least some of them say it also refers to the fetus specifically. If there is danger to the fetus, then one is allowed to eat on Yom Kippur, which should be not the case, because if the fetus is just part of the mother's body, one should not be allowed to eat. But as long as the mother is not in danger, but apparently the fetus itself is considered enough of a person— is that a strange phrase there? Wow. It's enough, enough of, of a person, person such that it may not be a full person, but it's also not just a piece of property or merely a part of the mother's body that one is allowed to violate the holiest day of the Jewish holiday calendar. So since Scott has been so gracious to consider another side of the argument... That's what I do, David. <laughs> I will be gracious to you, Scott. Oh, man. <laughs> and provide some arsenal against me. In Leviticus chapter 24, verse 17, it says over there, he that smites, oh wow, this is like the Sassino. Smites. 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 Any person mortally shall be put to death. That seems to have nothing to do with our case, though. Right, but over there, it has a particular reference to what that person represents. It says nefesh adam, the soul of a human being. Right. That's the way the verse says. Therefore, when we're talking about the levels of a human being, which is what the we're... levels of a human, human being. being. Okay. Then a human being is not fully a human being until you have the nephish, which normally is translated as the... Well, soul, soul or life. Soul or life. In fact, I think in the Bible itself, the word nephesh more often than not refers specifically to the concept of life. In other words, when we say the word soul, we often think of something spiritual, the ghost in the machine, as philosophers call it. We're really just talking about the fact that something is alive. And the classic way of describing this or demonstrating this is the fact that an animal's blood is called the animal's nefesh. If it meant a soul, no one is arguing that an animal has a soul in the classic sense. It means the blood is the life force. So nefesh, therefore, can easily be translated or most obviously be translated as life force, simply life. Right. So the life force of a fetus is coming from the mother. And therefore, 
if one is not independent, one may not have a full nefesh. Is that what you're arguing? Yeah, that's what I'm giving you, Scott, to... You're arguing on my behalf. Yes, I'm arguing on your behalf, and therefore, there is a different level of what it means to be human, and part of that is the nefesh part of a human being. Let me, right now, sort of summarize what we've been saying in general, and I assume this is part of the direction we're going. I'm really following your lead here, David, but ultimately... We see from one source that it is not a human being. We see from another source that it very much seems to be a human being. We see from this source that it's somewhere in the middle. And I think ultimately the answer might be that it's not just we have a disagreement of sources so much as we have a very multivaried and complex picture of what a fetus is. It can't be called the mother's body exclusively. It can't be called an independent human being exclusively. It's somewhere in the middle. Because its life force is dependent upon the mother in the context of what we're, how we're understanding Leviticus chapter 24, verse 17. And yet on the other hand, it's not called just the mother's body the way her hand is her part of her body. It's different. When I quote it all the way from the beginning in, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, there the term is ha'adam. The Once human, again, assuming you translate your way and not tra- my right, way. Exactly. The way I'm... Or punctuate your way, I should say. Right. The, it's all about the comma. <laughs> and how you look and to uh, translate that verse as do you reference that to mean an abortion or not? And over there it says ha'adam. So now what we have, David, is something which is just confusing. We're somewhere in the middle. We haven't yet come to any sort of conclusion. Are we eventually going to get to some sort of conclusion or at least some sort of way of understanding this? We can each walk away saying we're somewhat satisfied with what we've said. Right. So right now we're just not satisfied. We're, we're saying all sorts of stuff. No, I think the point is, is when you're having a discussion on the issue... It can't be black and white. No, the point is, is to beat the other guy to a pulp and demonstrate that you're right and he's no, wrong. That's sort of the entertainment of 24-hour news cycle right. and what we see on cable TV these days. Um, obviously, if you're going to bring somebody from the pro-choice camp, they're going to argue for the pro-choice. Someone from the pro-life camp, they're going to argue from the pro-life position. Judaism has a different take in its development of understanding the Bible and the situations that are surrounding them in this era because right now... I think the medical advancements that is happening right now in front of us, even though the life source is coming from the mother, there is a time where if for some reason the mother can't carry the baby anymore and you take it out from the mother, you can't continue the life by itself. I think ultimately this complicated reality of Jewish law that we're dealing with is the reason that someone like David Negrutman can come out and say that he's pro-life and someone like me can say I'm pro-choice and we're both using the same sources within Jewish law because the same sources, it's not that we're even disagreeing about the fundamental reality, we're disagreeing about how that's manifest in the practical world and what would be the better public policy based on that reality. Correct. We'll have to continue this next time, David, because there's so much to be said. Wow. Blessings from Jerusalem. I'm Scott Kahn. I'm David Negrutman.